The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Each business is unique and operated individually of others in the same industry. What they have in common is the potential path to success. Welcome to The Second Stage with your hosts, Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. In today's program, we'll address the obstacles that many businesses find on that path to success and discuss what entrepreneurs and their businesses are doing to stay ahead of the curve. Now, here is Brendan Anderson and Jeffrey Cadlick. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the second stage. It's uh, Brendan Anderson. Uh, uh, my uh, tag team partner, Jeff Cadlick, is uh, driving to beautiful Chicago. I think he's uh, worried his flight is going to uh, be interrupted by the, uh, by the summer, uh, summer storms. So uh, I'm uh, going to run this one solo, and uh, uh, we're very, very excited to I have a, a you know, very exciting, uh, energetic guest, guy named Dave Moore, uh, who is uh, really an expert on uh, disruptive uh, leadership and is a speaker. And uh, I'll get you more more into his background, but really, uh, just to talk about a guy that's done just about everything: uh, Navy, Air Force uh, fighter pilot, or I'm sorry, Air, Air, Navy Air Force pilot. But I'll, I'll get into that a little more in a, in a second. Um, we um, it's been kind of a crazy start to the summer. I think. Uh, we at the Evolution team have um, have spent very little time uh, in the office uh, anymore. Uh, we did uh, complete. It's a kind of exciting news. Our twelfth uh, uh, um, kind of investment with an entrepreneur in the last uh, since since starting Evolution. It's a wonderful um, uh, company in beautiful Henderson, Nevada, and. Uh, um, it's, uh, we, we'll end up being, uh, the last, um, investment in, uh, in our, our second fund. So, uh, it, uh very exciting uh, stuff. Um, we uh, actually are backing an entrepreneur, a guy that uh, has done a wonderful job kind of, uh, uh, kind of growing this little company. The company's called, uh, Heavy Equipment Colleges of America based in Henderson. They have a facility, a, a school. They teach people how to operate heavy equipment. School in Northern California, Oklahoma City, uh, in uh, Atlanta. Just a, a neat management team with a with a you know hopefully a, a good uh, good plan to grow and so forth. And uh, um, so we've been heavily working on that. And um, in addition to some other other fun things, but it's hard to believe after um, uh, all of this time. That uh, you know, that's twelve deals, uh, 12, 12 wonderful uh, you know companies we've been able, we've been blessed to back and so forth. So uh, it's uh, it's it's fun. Um, I've also uh, in typical summer fashion, probably like most of you, have uh, been off uh, doing way too much travel. In addition to travel for business, uh, did this weekend um, had a uh, eighth grade lacrosse tournament in Baltimore, and then dropped my other son at, uh, at Villanova for some classes, and the other one at Ohio State for some classes for some summer uh, summer camps and classes and so forth. So it's a uh, it's uh, it's crazy. It's crazy when uh, out traveling and doing all that fun stuff. You do get a lot of time, probably way too much time to. Um, 
uh, to listen to uh, listen to us. You know, I, I listen to books because I can't read. But uh, um, uh, I, I got to tell you, I uh, I listened in the last probably week or so, week and a half, to the E Myth by uh, Michael Gerber. In uh, full disclosure, I the first time I read it, I, I I just I really didn't think much of the book. Um, I, I I don't know why. It just goes to show you that you know there's points in time when you uh, when you read a book and, and it just doesn't mean much to you know it doesn't seem to mean much in your life um, and then and then you read it another time and it's like wow you know it's unbelievable um, and so I I, I I listened to it again and I my takeaway was just you know it, it's it's uh, you know we've always been a big fan of the book no man's land and and uh, finish big was a new one by by Bo, Bo Burlingham and I we you know we talked to him um, but this one is obviously you know kind of I think it was written in the late 80s and it really does a wonderful job explaining you know kind of how entrepreneurs um, get in a get in a position that you know you know that, that they're kind of on that treadmill I mean we always talk about that treadmill and so forth and for those of you that haven't uh, that haven't read the book. I, I just, it's, it's crazy. I, I, you know, the month ago I would have told you it wasn't worth reading. And today I, I'm just a huge fan. And I think it perfectly describes, um, the, um, the types of businesses that, um, that evolution is looking to partner with, you know, the people that kind of have the mentality that they're willing to work their way, you know, into something that's, that's growth oriented. And, and just to, not to beat this up too much as we wait for, uh, as we wait for Dave Moore, but, uh, you know, it really goes through a wonderful, wonderful description of, um, kind of, you know, the entrepreneurial myth and, and, you know, why people get into business and, and the fact that maybe the people that aren't, that are in business may not really be true entrepreneurs themselves. And they, you know, it goes through the talk about the, the mentality, the difference between an entrepreneur, a manager and a technician. And, and it really, when you, when you listen to, uh, um, Michael Gerber go through that stuff. It really is uh, a neat, um, you know, kind of a neat analysis and so forth. And um, the uh, the next piece is you know kind of going through the different stages of of a business and um, uh, you know going through the kind of the infancy and um, you know kind of you know w- what it's like to experience that. Um, I'm going to reply to our you seen that um, and. Um, and you know, kind of talking about the infancy and um, and, and the adolescence, and it's uh, you know the, adoles- the adolescence is, be- is begins uh, uh, when you decide to kind of reach out and, and get some help. So, um, and, and then how that how you kind of move and how you hire the the first person you hire, you tend to uh, instead of delegate, you know, the, the responsibilities you advocate, and, um, and and I can just literally see in my life how, uh, you know, quite frankly, we've made this mistake uh, before, and um, and we you know how the, some of the businesses we see how they they literally hire this hire somebody and they just kind of hand over, typically a financial person, um, you know, kind of a core responsibility and just trust that they that they're gonna. Um, you know, to, you know, kind of take care of it and so forth. So, really, is uh, is pretty good, uh, pretty good stuff. The um, uh, and then how the business basically goes from adolescence to uh, you know, kind of get the entrepreneur beyond its comfort zone. Um, and uh, um, it's just it's just definitely worth a worth a view. But hey, um, or worth a view, worth a listen, worth a read, and um, it, it's just uh, you know for those entrepreneurs that have got to that, you know, uh, 25, 30 employees, they they they're not having the fun that they 
that they should have or, or expect to have, uh, you know, just really is. And, and I think what's also neat about it is it not only describes the problem, but also um, uh, it kind of gives a way out of the problem and explains in a, in a very good way. And I, I've literally got probably 11 pages of notes here I was going to plan to walk through, but I'm going to quickly run out of time. So uh, it's just great. And I also got to, and I also uh, have been reading uh, the second book I started was Scale Up. Uh, by Vern Harnish, and again, just uh, you know, I think he's done a wonderful job, kind of transitioning from Rockefeller Habits to this to this book. Um, well, hey, we, we actually have a one. Uh, it's a I've I've listened to this uh, to Dave Moore speak. Um, Dave is uh, uh, you know is really focused on dis- disruptive leadership, and um, in you know basically everyone committed to one another's success. Uh, leadership, while a subjective topic, it is one that can be a tremendous impact when it comes to establishing and growing your business. So what does it mean to be a strong leader? There, there are a multitude of characteristics that many use to define a leader, but perhaps the, the ability to inspire influence are the most important. No one knows uh, this better than today's, today's guest, a Navy and Air Force decorated aviator and officer, Dave Moore. As the founder of More Motivated – kind of like that, uh, more motivated to get it. Uh, Dave shares his uh, incredible story of survival, determination, and the drive to demonstrate the importance of teamwork and leadership, taking a, disrupt- a disruptive approach to building teams and developing leaders. Uh, Moore describes leadership as setting boundaries and then affording your team the opportunity to find and perform at their best. Uh, to hear Dave's inspirational story, uh, inspirational journey and actions for developing effective leaders and team members, uh, this is a wonderful chance to listen to him. His, his background is, uh, um, like I mentioned, he's a uh, Navy and Air Force decorated uh, pilot and officer. He survived two plane crashes. You know, most people don't get back on the plane, but he's uh, survived two of them. Uh, he flew through three hurricanes while performing search and rescue uh, with the Coast Guard and has logged uh, 39 combat missions in the Middle East in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom and Operation Enduring Freedom with Air Force. Moore takes a disruptive approach in building teams and developing leaders that create a cohesive and, max- and maximizes results, all while minimizing human error and keeping safety first. He uh, creates an environment where others are encouraged to speak up and challenge one another. You've never heard that before from Jeff and I, have you? Just kidding. Spawning new thoughts and ideas. Moore's unique background and insight allows him to address the men and women on the shop floor, showing them how to engage and connect with management or C-level or even up to the C-level executives. Uh, His latest book, uh, Gear Up, Shut Up, Navigating uh, Disruptive uh, Leadership is is, a available for uh, for purchase and, uh, and, and, and and I have got a full disclosure I haven't read it but I, but I promise you I will and then actually while we're looking into his background also um, uh, he wrote a book before that uh, which is uh, lines along the wall which is actually well ask him about that one too because it's it just seems like such a uh, you know kind of a, a, a kind of creative way how he decided to, to write that but um, uh, I will um, kind of go on a break here and um, look forward to bringing um, 
uh, Dave Moore on the phone, and, and you, you'll be thrilled or just amazed at all the things this guy's done on, on his life. So uh, we'll be back in a couple minutes with uh, the second stage. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. This is Davis Love III, Ryder Cup captain and Team McGladry member. McGladry is about building relationships. That's the kind of team I want to be a part of, a team that builds deep understanding of each client's vision and unique way of doing business. The same attributes I look for and the partners I choose. It's this understanding that enables you and me to make confident decisions. When you trust the advice you're getting, you know your next move is the right move. This is the power of being understood. This is McGladry. Assurance Tax Consulting. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CIO Talk Radio, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experiences with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive. This means better care for customers and improves the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are tuned in to The Second Stage. To reach the hosts or their guests today, call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to thesecondstage at evolutioncp.com. Now, back to Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. Thank you. Uh, welcome back to The Second Stage. As promised, I have Dave Moore uh, on, on, the, uh, on the line. Dave, I, I've... I've heard your background. It's it's. Uh, I, I realize we only have about forty five minutes left here, and we're going to try to get part of it in. But maybe just t- tell me a little bit about your your beginnings. I know I know you've got a, a book a book that describes some of it. So how did you end up where you are? And I realize that's a big 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 question. Well, that's uh, you know lines along the uh, lines along the wall. At the beginning. There you go. So we'll start right there. Um, it was an incredible journey. I, I started off uh, right up by the by you there in Pittsburgh. Uh, Grew up and, and um, didn't really, you know, grew up in a, 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 the suburbs and had an opportunity to go play uh, football at Bethany College. I took that opportunity. And, um, you know, I, of course, I was going to be a Steeler. I had it all mapped out. I was going to uh, I was going to play for Penn State, and then I was going to, uh, then I was going to go to the Steelers. And I'm, <laughs> uh, I'm about five foot eight with my boots on. I break that in my book. So. Um, uh, well, I, I was about as I mentioned to you earlier, trade. Jeff 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 Cadillac, my partner, is a diehard Pittsburgh fan, and it's it's it's, it's painful in Cleveland to have you know such a person. <laughs> I guess it's painful because Cleveland can't compete. But yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead, you, you Pittsburgh no, people, I it's killing Cleveland. us. It's no, killing I, you us. Know, I have deep roots in Ohio, and actually, my first playing class was there, and I'm a graduate of Ohio University. So <laughs> I ended up um, I ended up over at Ohio University, and um, I do I love Ohio. I've always said that. Uh, you know, Ohio is my home away from home, and um, I actually thought about it at one point going back to Ohio University. There was an opportunity back there, and and maybe uh, trying to give back um, down there in Athens. But uh, so I made my way over to uh, Ohio, and on uh, December seventeenth, nineteen ninety seven, 
And uh, it's kind of an interesting story because December 17, 1903, was the uh, first flight ever at Kitty Hawk. And uh, on that evening, I was uh, I was flying up to Steubenville, Ohio, to Golf Two, and that was a much. It was even smaller. They've actually extended the runway uh, since I crashed out there. And um, well, I went up there, and I, I was picking up the doctor who owned the airplane, and, and I was going to take him out, and give him a flight lesson, and then we were going to fly back down to Athens. Well, that night it was uh, is one of those nights that just changed everything. So, um, I, you know, if I if I tell that story, we're pretty much done for the whole uh, for the whole the whole time there. So we'll. we'll We'll keep pushing through there, but it's a great story. It's actually you can read uh, you can read the abbreviated version in uh, Gear Up, Shut Up, or there's a there's a longer there's more of a um, a spiritual journey with the, the whole incident, like everything that went through. And the first book, the second book, just kind of brushes over like the leadership that I learned from it, like what I took away from that that specific experience in my life. But um, on, on that night, we uh, we crashed and found ourselves about a about a mile and a half in the woods uh, in the middle of nowhere with. Uh, severe injuries, and um, we were, I was actually told that uh, the, the exact quote was, he said, uh, that the investigator, he said, son, he said, I investigated a lot of accidents. He goes, I don't know if you believe in God or not, but you should not be alive right now. And you can imagine what kind of, uh, you know, what that does to, to your life as a 23-year-old. And um, so it just kind of became a really neat journey from there. And, um, and it was never the, the traditional path. It kind of, it, it went, um, so I heard you say earlier that most people, you know, after a plane crash, they won't get back up on the horse. And um, <laughs> I actually did. I, I tried too quickly, and um, and I needed a little time out. So I took a time out. I, um, I met some amazing people, um, actually some some people right there. They're, they're up in Cleveland, Ohio, a really nice family up there. Um, and, and, I, and I got to be, I got to learn a lot, learn a lot about life, learn a lot about um, who you are as a person. Um, and I got to grow. I got to be put into some roles outside of aviation, um, more like more in a business atmosphere. Um, I, I drew a lot from. I listen. I, I take in what everybody says, and I, I listen. And and um, and so that ended up leading me to an amazing story where I um, I found myself working for uh, for Grace Brothers, and I was selling uh, I was selling packaging, and they're actually up there, and um, and then. Uh, it, it was it was going very well, great company, and um, and then I, I had the itch to get back into aviation, and I started uh, I started flight instructing at nights and on the weekends, and then um, I had an opportunity to go to the Coast Guard. And uh, so, so Dave, Dave, when was when, when was this? Because you had your crash, you said when you were twenty three. I was twenty three. It was December seventeenth, nineteen ninety seven. Wow. Now. I'm going to have to fact check that and, and figure my age out. I just turned 41 <laughs> yesterday, so I, I think it's, I was 23. Well, we're I, we're I mean, all about approximate, yeah, I think approximate I, stuff here. Right. So that's good enough. We'll have to, but I'm pretty sure, yeah, 23. And uh, so I ended up going through uh, a, a couple of years there. What I found myself in a, uh, a ridiculous situation where um, I, w- I, was, I, was, I was accepted last minute to the Coast Guard. Um, and this story is in lines along the wall. And, and the story will really, I mean, it was just a story of stepping out and, 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 and taking, you know, signs from the universe or what you want to call it and stepping through and stepping through those doors as they opened because they were not definitely the easy way to go. And, um, and it, was, it was pretty, uh, pretty scary at times because when I went to the Coast Guard, you know, the Coast Guard is a seagoing service. It's not a, uh, it, it's not, you know, it, it's not like going to the Air Force where there's a good chance you're going to get a flight slot. It's uh, it's actually very hard to get a place out with the Coast Guard. So I ended up walking through that door and um, and found myself in the Coast Guard. There's about 50 of us. Uh, 
I had no idea how hard it was going to be. If anyone would have told me how hard it was, I'd have never went. <laughs> hey, tell me what the, the first uh, book, uh, 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 "Lines Along the Wall." Tell, tell me how that, how well, that, how you, how, how that one came because I, I think that's a great story. How, how what, what made you start thinking about that book? Well, um, so I went through the Coast Guard and, and I ended up through the Navy School. Ended up, uh, ended up pushing through there, and um, and then I found myself with the uh, with the Air National Guard up there. And uh, one night we were, we were, uh, I, I found his dog and her name was <laughs> Bailey. And, um, and, and I actually found her right down there in Athens, Ohio. And, uh, and she was an amazing dog. It was, it was, I, I had her just before I went through that plane crash. And as you can imagine, that was a pretty rough time in my life. And this dog, they gave her a 50, 50 chance of making it through the week. When I first got her, she was so sick. And, um, and just so many people pitched in. I talk about it lines along the wall. It's really a great story about, uh, you know, just human beings and just humans being humans. And um, so fast forwarding 14 years and 11 months, um, I had gone through a divorce and uh, my, my, uh, my, my dogs were back with my mom and I was over in the Middle East. And um, I, I came back from a combat mission and I was laying out underneath that dark Asia sky. And, uh, and when, I, when we were flying, we were flying on the, the uh, we were flying the combat mission. We had about a two, two and a half hour drive to, to and from work in the airplane. So while I was doing that, somebody had given me a book from Joel Osteen. It was called um, Becoming a Better You. And I was reading this book and it said, um, you know, Joel Osteen writes, he said, it said, it's not our oil fields, it's not our financial institutions. The greatest wealth in America is our cemetery. It's where all the unwritten books lie. It's where all the unwritten stories and miracles. I didn't really think too much of it. So we get back and um, it's the middle of the night and, uh, it, and uh, we go, you know, do our paperwork, do our thing. And, and there's no phone service over there. So I get my phone, but if you get my Wi-Fi channel, you know, to download your emails. And there was an email from my mom. And I knew when I left that she was probably not going to make it. And she said, you know, I'm sorry to inform you, son, but, you know, Bailey passed away. And um, and so I was laying out there in that dark Asian sky. And I was like, you know, what am I supposed to do? What do you want me to do? Um, because I put in for, you know, some, some things that seemed like it would be the path to go down. And I, I, it just, it was like those things didn't come. And when you have to force things, you know, if it's not meant to be, it, it just won't come through. And, and, I, and I was like, do you want me to write a book? And let me tell you, Brandon, it was the biggest shooting star I'd ever seen in my life. It came across, and I said, I kid you not, I thought it was a missile from Iran. And um, I rolled off the bench, and I started, I started heading for the bunker. And um, I spent the rest of that deployment and, um, flying around thinking that gigantic shooting stars were just a, a thing of the uh, Middle East. <laughs> so I wrote a book, and as the Pittsburgh newspaper wrote, they said, uh, if you'd have picked the least likely person to ever write a book, it'd be Dave Moore, and I agree. <laughs> How long did it take you? How long did it take you? Because you hear people say they can do it in four or five months, and some people take five years. How long did it take you to do it? Well, when I, so I didn't even know what I was supposed to write the book about, and um, I originally <laughs> named it uh, Bailey and Me, because I didn't know I figured it was about this dog, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and off of the movie Marley and Me, <laughs> and I was like, I had no idea. So I, I get this thing roughed out, sketched. Out. I don't even know what's going on, and um, I'm like, I need help with this. I don't even know what I'm doing. I mean, I was the guy that played football, got detention. I didn't really, you know, uh, I wasn't really into English class when I was in high school, and um, and certainly when I went to college, I went for aviation. And um, although I always was told I was a good writer. And um, and so I, I called up my old English teacher. Have you ever seen Happy Gilmore? I have. I love it. 
Yeah, you know when uh, you know when um, when uh, he goes back and he needs to learn how to putt, and he's like, <laughs> "You're really smart. I'm stupid. You're very good looking. I'm not so good looking." <laughs> 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 I called my old high school English teacher up, and I was like, "That I was like, you're really smart. I'm stupid." <laughs> and um, you said, uh, "Send me a chapter." Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was going to, that's, that's incredible. You you went uh, through with it because most people would, you know, kind of get motivated about it for two or three days and then just, you know, just, you know, go off and do something else. So, so go ahead. So you, you, you had a couple chapters. Oh, yeah, we're a year into this at this point. I just took me about a year to get to this point. And I was like, <laughs> you know, just like, just trying to grind through it. I didn't even know what I was supposed to write about, how this story just to come together. And so, um, so I, I got Mr. Steiner. He, uh, he said, send me a chapter. So I sent him a chapter. He said, send me two more chapters. So I sent him two more chapters. He said, the only thing worse than your grammar is your lack of respect for the paragraph. I said, there's the man <laughs> that can teach me to write a book. <laughs> so, yeah, who needs right, paragraphs? Right in the beginning, a special thanks to Mr. Steiner because he helped me uh, muddle through that first book. And, uh, you know, it, it's a book written from the heart. It's, it's, very, uh, it's very passionate. It's very, it's very real. This is just, you know, this is me. And, um, and that's how I ended up writing a book. And then I was, I was uh, getting into the speaking. I was going around. I was speaking on, in schools on Never Give Up, just with, you know, with my past and everything I went through, um, all the different uh, ups and downs, and the, the amount of times I found myself in the bottom of a hole and the things I had overcome. And, I mean, there's really only two choices when you're at the bottom of a hole. You can either lay there and wall around your own self-pity or you can pull yourself up from your bootstraps. And um, I like to say... Uh, uh, expect nothing and fear nobody. You know, I mean, that's the only way you can really kind of go through life. And uh, so I, I got um, I got myself out of that hole, and uh, I picked myself up, and, and um, I was going around. And I was trying to encourage other people to do it, and um, um, and and uh, that gentleman Jeff Tobe, he, he's actually up from Pennsylvania, and he uh, he said you need to do this professionally. And uh, and after he saw, I, I said, well, I have another book that I wrote. He wrote, he read through it, he's like this. This is an amazing leadership book, and that's how we got to uh, gear up, shut up. So, so the so the the path the path to the uh, the professional speaker was was really just somebody coming along and saying to you that 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 they that this is something you should do. It, it was is that how is that how that happened? It was. It, it was. Uh, I, did, I didn't even realize. I didn't really think that. Uh, I, I didn't realize that professional speaking was even a. Uh, um, a career per se, you know, I mean, I was, I was groomed as a pilot. I was, you know, I, I kind of felt that that was my career path and I didn't even realize I, I was going around the schools and speaking to schools and speaking at different events. And, um, and, uh, yeah, the, the door was opened up. I mean, it just kind of, it, it kind of came across. Isn't that awesome? It's just neat how, you know, it's just, you just kind of keep out there swinging and, you know, working hard and, and you, you know, you find this stuff. So how did you come up with disruptive leadership? And then what is disruptive leadership? Well, you know, that's a great question because disruptive leadership, when people first hear disruptive leadership, uh, I, I was, I was impressed when, um, of course you go back and, and you want to, you want to get back to where you took so much from. So my first, my first move was towards the military. And um, their first response is, we don't want a disruptive leader. We want somebody to follow his orders to a T. And um, <laughs> I said, you know, I probably should have expected that response. But it's not, because when, they, when you think of disruptive, you think of, you know, just, just somebody just disruptive, just out of control. Um, but that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is disrupting the norm. And um, 
A great example that I like to give is the U.S. tax code. We just recently realized, and, and I wasn't saying that any any drug. I, I love them, you know. I mean, that's that's. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I'm so loyal to them, but that was just their natural reaction, you know. It was like I'm like, no, that's not what it is. Nobody knows what it is, and it might, you know, it, it's a the, the term. So it's like you look at the U.S. tax code. We recently just reached four million words. Four million words. Even the people writing the code, it said that they. I mean, who can understand four million words? How can you really know what's in there? Disruptive leadership is. It, it, it's, it's taking the problem, you have a problem, and it's coming at it from the outside. It's coming at it from a different angle and from a different approach. And basically just starting over with a clean canvas. And, um, and, and the hardest part is, is you have to be able to take prejudice out of it. You have to be able to say, look, we're not going to do it like this because that's, all, that's what we always did, and we're not just going to make change for the sake of making change. We're going to look at this problem and we're going to figure out the best solution for it. And we're going to draw not only internally from our organization, but also externally. Because sometimes when you're too close to something, you, 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 can't, you, know, you can't withdraw. You can't take the emotion out of it. You know, you're too passionate about your business. That's why you need somebody in check from the outside to say, hey, man, look, this, this is crazy. The way you're going about this, you know, you, you might not be able to see, you know, you might not be able to see it from a different angle, but that's really not going to work out. And, and, and being a disruptive leader is more, it, it's about creating an environment. It's an environment where, okay, here's our left margin. Here's our right margin. You know, you have to operate within the, within the margins because, um, not to feel off Jeff Toe, but, you know, you tell her outside the lines without falling off the edge of the paper. Um, but it's, you know, this is where I want you guys to operate, and you need to stay within the guidelines but I need you to find your best. And, and what I do in Gear Up Shut Up is I use stories that, that um, you know, that, that on my amazing journey because I was just I'm blessed to have gotten to go through it all and um, especially to live through it all, that there's, there's been opportunities where I've gotten to see others shine. For example, in Gear Up Shut Up, I talk about a, uh, I talk about a trip that we were, we were on our way out to, um, we were flying a Coast Guard Falcon jet and we were on our way out to uh, San Diego. And it's when... Uh, it's when there was a big problem with all the uh, the submarines that were being built to smuggle drugs to uh, uh, you know up to the United States. You know what I'm talking about? Those little man-made submarines. I don't. I don't at all. <laughs> okay, uh, it was but... classified at the time, but I saw it on the Discovery Channel t- uh, about two months ago. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure we're good. <laughs> so they, they were um, down in the jungle. It's amazing how when you're up in the north, like you know, the things that affect you when you're when you're on more on the border states as opposed to being up north. But they were building yeah. these, uh, these 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 small two man submarines, and uh, I mean submarine is it, it does submerge underwater, but it's not like you know like a submarine that the U.S. military brings builds. Right. And um, it was a small two man submarine that they were actually building in the rainforest, and um, and, and they were using them to smuggle drugs. So the particular airplane that I was flying had a great um, it had a great sensor package that was was really ideal for for helping us you know protect our borders. So we were on our way um, that night. My ox boss comes in, and I'm, I'm sitting there in Corpus Christi, Texas. And ox looks at me, and, and I was I was an instructor. I, I was very seasoned pilot for them, and um, and this was a, a brand new mission. So he wanted somebody really seasoned to go. And um, so he walked in. He said, "Hey, uh, he said, can you deploy to San Diego tomorrow? I mean, anytime you're asked to deploy, I mean that's not even really a deployment. Is it to San Diego? The answer is, uh huh, I sure can, ox." <laughs> and um, so he, he gave me uh, an experienced crew, 
And actually, the guy in the very back, I was stationed in Miami with, so we had quite a bit of history. And I actually, a little bit later on, did his chief initiation when he uh, when he made chief. Um, I was the officer that sponsored him. But uh, anyway, so so we're, we're on our way out. Well, the night before, I said, you know, I started looking at it, and I said, well, I better make sure they get a little extra gas on there. And um, by the time I called, they, they said, look, it, there, there's actually we're a little short on gas, and because of the pressurization of the tanks, it's really going to be hard for us to get extra fuel on there. So I looked at it, and I knew fuel was going to be a problem, and um, we, we, were, we were carrying a lot of equipment like brakes and tow bars and, and stuff that we would need because we were operating off station and we didn't have any Coast Guard support there, and, um, and we had it stacked up in the, in the center aisle of this aircraft. So we take off, and, um, and we're flying out, and my co-pilot is actually rated as an instructor pilot. So we have a very senior crew. I mean, the co-pilot is actually an instructor pilot. And we're going out, and, um, and you're always looking at the winds. It's always the winds, the winds, the winds, and the winds. And so we're going out, and um, he's doing the calculations, and we're looking at it, and, and uh, we get the winds low. And, uh, and that was kind of our last stop before I wanted to stop at the Grand Canyon to get gas because it was, just, it was an <laughs> ideal stop. And I thought we could see the Grand Canyon before we go out and, uh, you know, and do this mission. So we, we, um, we, we go past Winslow, and he said, Dave, we got it. And I said, yep, looks good. I agree. So we continue on. And you have a lot of leeway in the, in, the, uh, in the Coast Guard. You have to really think on your own. Um, it's not so much can, like, this is where you're going or this is where you're stopping. Um, so we're flying out there, and sure enough, you know, the wind, it just, starts, it just keeps creeping around, creeping around, creeping around, right under the nose, a headwind, worst-case scenario. So we're coming in. We're coming into Grand Canyon Air National Park, and um, and uh, now fuel is a definite problem. We're discussing it the whole time, and we're still okay because we plan to make sure that if the worst case scenario, we'd still be okay, and we were still okay because we were getting the worst case scenario. But hey, we planned for it, so we're good. So we're coming in, and, and um, we're coming down, and, and um, we we come down, and, and since fuel was was low, I wanted to keep the airplane up high. Because you burn less fuel in the jet, and then bringing it kind of kind of sporty, and um, you know, bringing it a little bit steeper of a descent angle. There's not a whole lot of traffic out there, and so we do that. And as we're coming around, I say, you know, set flaps, uh, set flaps ten, set flaps twenty, landing gear down, landing checks. And he puts the landing gear down, and I just hear the horn is just going burn, And I'm sitting there thinking, man, why does he not silence that horn? And going back to leadership, there's a thing in aviation it's called crew resource management. It's about working together. Hospitals are actually adopting it with uh, uh, surgeons and doctors and the way that they interact together because you don't want to step on each other's feet because you're in a, you're in a life or death situation. You want, to, you want to have a good working relationship. That's probably an easy way to put it. So I didn't say anything, and then I hear, um, I hear uh, uh, Dave, we have a problem. So sure enough, the left main gear freezes up and doesn't come down. So now we're short on gas, the landing gear won't come down, and we go up into a delta pattern, which is just, you know, setting up an orbit over the, air, over the airport. Well, we're going through all this, and so we're burning more fuel. We have two of our landing gear out. One, we're not sure where it's at. We're going through a system two gear extension. Well, we get it out. We come around. We land. We're rolling out on the runway, and, um, and, and as we're rolling out, I remember saying, man, I'm too old for this. And, <laughs> and I look in the back, and the crew is out of breath. They're sweating. And everything in the back is stacked up. And I look back and I said, what did you guys do? And the, the crew, the, the senior enlisted man back there, Jose, 
he actually directed the crew to start stacking all the gear and get the, the gear doors free so they could they could top the gear doors because they knew that we were low on fuel without bothering us or asking permission because at the end I'm the aircraft commander every all decisions should come through me they got ready for the next step in case that system two gear extension didn't work and that's what I'm talking about creating an environment Jose was okay and that crew was okay doing that because they knew they knew that I created an environment where I let people find their best I oper- let them operate to their maximum potential. Now, the System 2 gear extension did work. If it didn't work, though, I was not ahead. I wasn't to the next step, and we would have ran out of gas. So that's what I'm talking about, you know, setting the left boundary, setting the right boundary, and it takes time. It takes time to build that trust with your people. No, that's 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 neat, and it's it, you know, it's like you said, it does take time, but it, and it does take you know the commitment from the top management all the way down. But, you know, I, no, I, I love it. So wh- why do... Um, why, why do you think leadership models? I mean, there's all these leadership models that we've been, you know, that kind of companies operate with, people operate with. You know, why, why do they need to change? Well, you know, leadership, it, it's funny because the, the first leadership out of school I ever went to, I remember it pops. Pops, he, uh, um, he, he looked and he said, you know, leadership is the hardest thing to teach. And, and um, that's the truth because everybody has to find, you know, you have this model or this script or, See, America, the world is changing ever so fast. Right now, 60% of every, 60% of people now belong to a social media group. So you now, if you upset one customer, if you upset one person, it's no longer you just upset that person. You know, now they're bad-mouthing you on LinkedIn. You know, you have Yelp, you have, I mean, you guys understand all the social media out there. The work, work travels very fast. And the old methodology of, uh, you know, compiling a large amount of data and sitting here and, and just growing over this data, by the time you get through all that, the data is obsolete because the world is changing so fast now. You need to build teams, and, and, I, and I can't stress that word enough. You need to build teams so people are able to make decisions, at, you know, at lower levels. It doesn't have to go all the way up the chain of command, all the way back down the chain of command. You need people that are in the field that can make good decisions. And the only way to get that is to, is to create an environment where people will operate in. And the, the key to that is, the caveat is, you have to be forgiving. Upper-level management has to be forgiving. If, if I'm so scared to make a if, – if I'm afraid to make a, a decision, because you're not always going to be right. If you think you're always going to make the right, the right decision, then you're just not – you just don't know yourself. Now, if you can say, hey, I'm going to make mistakes – but they're going to be small and, you know, and I'll be able to control them. Then you're actually, you know, then you really know who you are as a person, but you have to be forgiving because sometimes people are going to go about things in a way that, that, you know, it might be a mistake, but if they're afraid to make that mistake, then they'll never, they'll never go out and put your company on the tip of the spear. That's why the leadership module has to change. I just got an opportunity um, I'm sorry. Once you get me going, I just keep going. No, it's good. It's <laughs> um, good. I, uh, I love it. What, what, I, just, I just got an opportunity to work with a company, and I've never seen a company that was so lean on the top end. This company, I mean, this is a national company, and they're so lean on the top end, the hardest part of their day in executive management is figuring out who's going to send the UPS envelope out. They don't have, they don't have an admin person. I mean, they, you know, it, it's one of the, the C level executives, he waters the plant, <laughs> you know, makes the coffee, <laughs> and, and they operate so lean. 
but the decision-making ability is, it, it, it's amazing because decisions can be made in real time. And, and, and that's the management structure. You know, I, I was reading something online and somebody was making a snide remark about it was either Apple or Google. Like it's a bunch of 20-year-olds. And I'm like, yeah, these bunch of 20-year-olds are paving the way of America. I mean, you have the largest cab company in the world has no, has no taxis. Uber. And I think they did um, $60 billion last year. $60 billion. The largest social media company in the world, Facebook, puts out no, no social media. It, it's a, you know, the world's changing. And I'm sure you've read Death of a Salesman or that book. You know, yep. You've heard about it. The yep. reason the salesman died because he want, or, you know, his, his business died was because he was going to do it the way that he did it. So you either are, you know, you're an innovator, an imitator, or an idiot. I still left Mark Cuban on the Shark Tank, so I can't take credit for that. <laughs> I love that show. I, I love the Prophet too. It's 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 a uh, it's crazy. Now, all those uh, all those uh, shows are fantastic. He talked talk to me about personal power versus position power, and I know that's you know that especially from the military perspective, it'd be great to get your thoughts on that. Yes, that is my uh, that gets me excited. So um, you know, personal versus position, and I, I think. Um, you know, really understanding when the, the thing that the military does better than anybody is they move leaders through different roles. I mean, you know, you have people that literally switch air stations, they, they switch shops, they switch bases, and um, they switch positions. I was put into a role, and I was actually, I walked into it, I had no idea. 27 enlisted, um, a handful of officers, junior officers, Three civilians, one was older than my dad, which I remember thinking that. I was like, wow, that guy's older than my dad. And here I am, you know, like the, the call of the shots and a $9 million budget. And, um, I, you know, I had one accounting class in, in college. I just knew Devin on the left, Curtis on the right. And, um, you know, I was putting <laughs> more in than I got. It's more than I got. What's that? I said it's more than I remember, but go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and, um, you know, so... So the military, they, they move their people around because they, they, need their, they want their people to be well-rounded. So, you know, personal versus position power, if you walk in there and it's, it's the, the same mistake, and I write about this in a, my best leadership story ever, I talk about SEER school, and um, that's a gear up, shut up. You're going to you're gonna have to get it, you know, you got to get that off of Amazon and read it. Because if, if I tell one story, they're just too long that, you know, we'll, we'll, we won't touch anything else. <laughs> but if you go in there with position power, and, you know, hey, look, you know, right here on my shoulders, my rank shows that I'm the one in charge, so you're going to listen to me. Now, in a military or hierarchy or pretty much any business, you know, they have the breakdown of the CEO, vice president, chief operating officer, whatnot, you're, you know, you can accept that. that you, sure, we have positions, and that position carries a certain weight or a certain respect, and whether, whether or not you agree with that person, we all have to answer to somebody, and, you know, you're going to have to answer to that person. But what people are going to give you is BMS, bare minimum service. I mean, I learned that actually waiting, waiting tables in college. I just love that. I, we were waiting tables, and the guy that was showing me how to do it, he said, give them BMS. I said, what's that? He goes, bare minimum service. Give them some water, give them some food, get them out of here, get a tip. <laughs> and, uh, I was like, all right, man. <laughs> Let's do this. Let's hustle some money. But um, so uh, – you know, that's what you're going to get when you're, when, you're, when, you're, when you're in position power. Because, look, yeah, sure, you're my boss, and I have to come here. And you're going to find that in your hierarchies a lot. You know, like in uh, large hospital settings where 
okay, when you're here for, you know, you're here for this many years, you get a 2% increase and you're here for this many years. So if you're working, it's kind of really hard to be a disruptive leader if you're working, if you're kind of in that, I mean, almost socialized model. But if, if you take your people and say, look, you know, and, and if you lead with personal power, they will make you look so good. And that's what I was good at. I was good at just bringing people together, bringing the team together, and really all that it requires of you is just, you know, is understanding people. Knowing that if you take this group of people and put them together, and you take this group of people and you put them together, being able to predict what the result will be, what the outcome will be due to their personality, being able to bring them together, I mean, basically like a head coach, you don't necessarily, when I was a supply officer, I didn't know all the answers. I, I knew probably very few of the answers but I knew how to manage all the people because I had the education department. I had the morale department. I had, you know, all these different departments and I didn't understand all the nickels and dimes that were, you know, exactly which pot of money everything had to come from or go to. And it would have taken me years to figure that out. Well, I'm only in this position for a year, maybe two years. So I don't even have all that time to figure it out. I need to take the people that do have the knowledge and I need to be able to lead them. And one thing, I mean, building personal power takes time and it builds friendships. That one gentleman who I told you is as old as my dad, um, yep. I hear from him on Memorial Day and Christmas. Every single year I get a call from him. Um, the, the chief warrant officer that was in that office, friends with her, you know, she, she referred to me on Facebook after she retired. And, you know, when, when you're building personal relationships like that, people, will, they'll, they'll fall you off a cliff. They'll walk over the cliff and they'll do whatever it takes to get the job done. But on your side, you have, to, you have to be empathetic and understand that we're all human beings. We all have needs. We all have wants. We all have desires. You know, you might not be able to meet all of them, but you at least need to be fair and reasonable. No, that's great. And, and it's, you know, it's, 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 you know, we, we obviously love, um, you know, kind of looking at companies that have, uh, you know, and when we say this in pretty much every show that have that, you know, the, the core values of, you know, the, the, everybody's got similar core values and they've got that passion to do something and you get those, you know, those things together. It's just, it's just absolutely fantastic, but it really does come down to, you know, walking the walk and having the leaders, you know, really develop that big piece. Hey, talk to me a little bit about um, you know some of the big challenges today. As you know, as co- you know, college students, you know, people that go directly from high school to college and then the workforce, and maybe talk about how, you know how you see that the challenges with with that path. You know, Brandon, I saw um, I, I, I saw a, a special, and it was uh, a survey of CEOs, and um, they said that college graduates today, um, even four college graduates are not ready for the workforce. And it's not because, you know, every, you have to get job-specific training. We all know that. You know, you, what you learn in college is proven that you can learn, unless you're in a specialty. Um, but it, it, it's a matter of teamwork because, you know, you're brought up, and you're brought up through a system where, you know, you perform, you do your homework, and it's all about you. Well, and today, um, you know, the needs of these businesses, the needs of these companies, they need to build a sales force. And if they're building a sales force and the outside person and the inside person, they're only worried about themselves, neither are going to succeed. Um, it's, about, it's about making them see the big picture. And when you bring the team together, what the, possible, what the possibility of opportunities are. It's, it's, teamwork is one of the hardest things to show. And I know that's why a lot of people pull from uh, – from from collegiate athletes or, or high school athletics, uh, people that played sports, played team sports, and um, 
and one of the biggest, I was working with this company and they said, you know, how do we, how do we get it? How do we make it? So, you know, people will show up because they want to, because they want to be here. They'll stay late because they want to stay late. Not because you're over here saying, look, you need to stay because then they're just kind of staying and they're just putting the time in instead of really getting the job done. Look, if we get this piece of machinery online, it's going to make X amount of dollars. But now as a man, as, not as a manager, as a leader, I need to take that and make sure that they see a bit of that profit because now that's what I'm talking about being a disruptive leader. When you make it good for them and, and, and it's, it's good for everyone, when it's a good deal is when it's good for you. When it's a great deal is when it's good for everyone. And that's what I, you know, it's funny, you know, you just kind of put through life and, 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 you know, obviously you, you look at this kind of the true conscious capital or, um, you know, kind of movement of, you know, when you, when you put it, when you put a, a plan together that benefits, you know, your, your customers, suppliers, employees in the community, uh, and, and you can get a plan that, that all of those people win. I mean, it, you know, it's, it's not, you know, it's not, you know, you kind of, I think, you know, maybe in business school, we would have said that's like utopia doesn't exist, but, you know, companies that pull it off, it, it, they really do, you know, outperform everybody else in their peer group. I mean, it really is, it's a stunner and it's, um, and it just, you know, I think it, there's, I think we're slowly getting, you know, you know, more and more business leaders and quite frankly, you know, other, you know, other leaders throughout the, Throughout the country, kind of focusing on that stuff. It's just, it's, it's a hard leap. You know, it's a hard. You know, it's, it's just something that's, uh, that's tough to do. But it's, uh, um, it, you know, it, it's a fantastic thing you can pull it off. Can you maybe talk a little bit about the, you know, the great, you know, the, some of the, some of the people out there that are, you know, the disruptive leaders that, that have been able to kind of lead with the personal, with personal power. Um, you know, I don't know if you have any, any people off the, off the, you know, that you can think of that would be fun to talk about. Yeah, off, off the uh, yeah, off the top of my head, um, uh, th- there's a great story, and it took place up in uh, New England. And are you familiar with the bar- uh, market basket grocery stores? I'm not. No, you're not. Market. This is this is amazing. So it, it's like it's like one of those stories that uh, you know it's like an after school special, a PG special, and um, you know a, a gentleman comes over from overseas. I'm I'm just just summarizing it very briefly and uh you know the family they they build this this grocery store chain up i mean we're talking twenty five thousand employees and um wow. I, you know it, it becomes a yes a, a nice size grocery store um uh, billions of dollars in revenue and uh there's 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 a brother and a uh, a brother and a brother-in-law who who kind of find their way to the to the top of the the, the family chain and um, and the one becomes CEO of the company. Well, under his tenure, he um, he grows sales. He uh, he takes care of his people. He has uh, he has tuition programs. You know, you were talking about this utopia, but what I'm seeing is, and see, I, I know that you're uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're you're more focused between one and a hundred employees. Is that correct? It's- yeah, kind of that. Kind of that. We started kind of like that. You know, kind of fifteen to thirty. So you know that where it really starts getting hard. You know, harder to manage uh, the business. Right, but but see, it, it can work, and, and and he showed that you can do it even on a larger scale. So he, um, you know, his employees enjoyed working for him so much that when they went through a family feud, you know, board of trustees, and they actually got forced out. Well, when he got forced out. Um, they actually striked, and uh, the, the employees, the supply chains, even the suppliers um, stopped supplying the stores, and the stores ended up losing millions of dollars. The customers started boycotting the stores, and um, this is how much they like the CEO of this company. And um, millions of dollars a day the family was losing, 
So they ended up having to sell. They had end up having to sell the store to uh, Arthur Key, and um, that's the the, the feud was between Arthur Key and Arthur S. And, um, <laughs> and he ended up actually getting the store. And at one point, at one point, six thousand employees showed up for one rally. Um, I mean, twenty five percent of the entire store employees. Now you have to remember, it's not like you know the stores are all within five or ten miles of each other. So these people all showed up and supported him in one place. And I mean, how hard is it to get people to take time out of their personal lives? Managers risk losing their job by supporting, you know, the alpha CEO. And when, if you're leading with personal power, when push comes to shove and your employees rally around you like that, that's when you know that, I mean, you really are achieving optimal success. So it's an amazing story. And he ended up, um, they ended up selling him the, uh, the grocery store chain. He still runs it. I believe that was in 2014. So wow. that was pretty recent, actually. Yeah, I tell you, you know, you you look at, um, uh, you know, like John Mackey at uh, it was at Whole Foods and some of these people that you know that are that are able to kind of find, uh, you know, and we just kind of talked about two grocery stores, but there's you know there's many more. I know we, uh, you know, we frequently talk about like you know a Jack Stack at um, at SRC Industries or some of these people, and it's just it, it really is unbelievable what you know. And, and I don't know if you've heard that, you know, if you're familiar with Jack. Um, you know, but you know, no. I think I've mentioned this probably thirty times on this on this show. But you know, he took, and you know, he'd probably kill me for saying this, but probably the worst, you know, the worst industry. I mean, just a very brutal industry. If you go to, you know, we're a private equity fund. If you come to a private equity fund and say, hey, I want to, I want to start a business, and we're gonna, or I want to, I want to buy a, a bankrupt business from uh, from International Harvester. Um, you know, it, it's we want, we're gonna remanufacture diesel engines. You think to myself, oh my God, what a horrible, capital-intensive, low-margin, terrible business. But you know, fundamentally, he took those principles and um, and built a business that I think if you'd invested a thousand dollars, you know, this is, he's been at it for a while. But if you'd invested a thousand dollars with him in like in the late '80s, early '90s, uh, it would be worth like thirteen and a half. A million dollars today. I mean, just crazy. Wow. We had a good thunder, good thunderstorm rolling here through Cleveland. But uh, I mean, just you know, and just you, you look at those things and you think, you know, God, there's one thing if you can do it with a really high margin business. There's another thing to do it with, you know, with, you know. I mean, look, first of all, it's hard to do with any business, but uh, you know, it just goes to show that you can really. You know these principles work in any you know in, you know as uh, as uh, Lincioni says you know it's like it works in you know pretty much any industry you know as long as you can get the uh, you know all the managers rowing in the same direction um, it's uh, it's exciting stuff what uh, are you uh, how, um, I, I find your background you know fascinating we're kind of down the last couple minutes here the um, so you're you know you're you're uh, you're you're a speaker and 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 you obviously work with you work with some of the CEOs and so forth and kind of helping them kind of get some of this stuff going also or tell me more about kind of your business. Well, um, I do. I, I I speak on disruptive leadership. So absolutely, okay. work with the CEOs. Um, if uh, you know if they're looking to bring somebody in, um, you know I, I don't I don't want it I don't want it just to be sugar water and uh, because unfortunately. You know, as human beings, every everything we do is, is habitual, and um, and that's what I've had to learn through all my struggles in life. And I mean, when you think about it, you know, you, you can either have good habits or you can have bad habits. So it's kind of like that spider, you know, it, that, that spider. It, it strings that it strings that that piece of nylon, and it just keeps straight. Well, eventually, it gets so thick that you know you just give a little bit of sugar water because you go in there and I get people excited. You, you can see how just excited I get about things, and. Um, I mean, I, I just, I, I just, I, I just love it. I'm passionate about it. I, I'm, I care about people. That's something you can't fake, you know. And uh, 
And, and so I don't want to just get in there and get sugar water. And that's why I actually accompany with the book because it's like, look, you know, there, there's there's 13 real life stories. Not hey, look at this. It's like hey, you know, this is good. This is bad. This is what I learned from it. And I make the book short because let's face it, you know, we're not all bookworms. So I want you to be able to navigate and get through it. And the thing that gives me great pleasure is when somebody says, uh, I had one guy who said, Dave, I probably haven't read a book in my life. And um, I started reading your book, and, and um, I stayed up all through the night and read it. And, um, it, it, you know, I, I want to catch it, and, and I want to – I just want to, you know, like walk through these scenarios because, you know, like you start talking about leadership models and, you know, and utopias and the perfect world. It's like, look, this, this is an unperfect world. Um, you know, the book, my book, this is, you know, this is, this is the world that I was put into. These were the positions I was, I was put into. This is how I handled it. Um, you know, I give an example about down in, uh, um, when I was in Martinique and I didn't handle it very well. And that same position by the power of the word, I, I you know, I, I, how powerful our words are when I was put to another position, when I was in, um, uh, Honduras, the big joke was that I was going to be the president of the country because it was the way it was the way that I projected myself. It was the way that I led my crew while we were down there. And, and with, 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 you know, with the language barrier, you just kind of have to see the story. So it, it's like, um, you know, you come in, and I just don't want to get sugar water because you get, everybody gets excited. Yeah, 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 I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do this. And then it's like two days later, you're like, uh, what? Yeah, who? Dave, who? Oh, you know what? I got um, getting the kids this weekend, going to do this, going to go golfing. And everybody, we, we do, we go back to our normal routine. So I think about, you know, being a disruptive leader, the first, and, and I talk about this, the first person you need to lead is yourself. And, um, and and you can't get comfortable with just, you know, if you're getting comfortable, if you're not getting outside of your comfort zone, you're never going to, you're never going to achieve your maximum potential. You're never going to be the top salesman. You're never going to be, yeah. you know, you have to get outside of your comfort zone and you have to you have to explore what's in your heart, what you're passionate about, and not be afraid to do what? it. But you have to. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. Hey, Dave. I I I love it. I, and, and let me. I gotta I gotta make sure I get um, Dave Moore, disruptive leader, disruptive leadership speaker, expert, and author. Is founder of More Motivated at www.moremotivated.com. Latest book, Gear Up, Shut Up. Uh, get him. You can reach him on Twitter at uh, D More Motivated or at D More Motivated. Hey, uh, Dave, I, I love your passion. I love your energy. I love the fact that you're caring and you're out there doing this. I am out of time, and I and I appreciate appreciate you dialing in. So thank you so much. All right. Hey, thank you so much for having me. No, I love it, and we'll look you up when we get to Pensacola. Thank you very much. Thank you for tuning in this week to the second stage. Please join Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson again next Monday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And have a successful week.